On this episode, I interviewed Khalil Wakar, who runs and is a head strength and conditioning coach with Rise Athletic. The main topic of this podcast was athletic development within the private sector or local level athlete and sporting sector within Australia or any other country that has a similar setup. So the main main topics we talked about first, we talked about how what are the principles and goals Khalil has when when talking to his athletes, how he convinces his athletes that athletic development is important, even if you're not a professional athlete, dispelling dispelling any myths or misconceptions uh, within training. Then we talked about how he educates athletes that don't always have as many resources as someone in the as a professional athlete or college system might have. We talked about lifting in during season, how he convinces athletes and the importance of, of doing that. We talked about the differences with youth athletes versus older athletes. We talked about time constraints, money stra- money constraints, and ways he goes about dealing with that, and and finally finished off on, on conditioning and a little bit about that as well. So great episode overall on this topic. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please... Have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Khalil Wakar, who runs and is the head strength edition coach at Rise Athletics. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on. Uh, today is our topic. We're going to kind of discuss the importance of athletic development within the private sector private sector or the local level athlete within the Australian system. So um, if, if you first just want to maybe give a general overview of yourself, uh, what you do, where you've come from, uh, and, we, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. Um, like you said, I run my own little kind of private strength conditioning business, um, Rise Athletic Development. Um, and from that, I do a couple of different roles with a few different kind of teams and um, so I work with the, um, the footy club that I play at, Springwood Pumas, um, and then I also work at um, one of the local schools um, in my area, John Paul College, with their um, athletic development kind of high school aged kids, um, getting them into the gym. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I've done. Sorry, just a bit of background. Did my science degree, uh, finished a couple of years ago, um, and actually just currently doing my masters of uh, clinical ex phys. So going through that process as well. Um, and just another one actually that I do, um, along with my rise athletic, um, I do some kind of on-site exercise science stuff with Australia post in some of their kind of male sporting facilities. So something completely unrelated to athletic development, but, uh, yeah, just another exercise role that I do currently. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, uh, diverse background with athletes, youth athletes, as well as, um, your own private sector stuff. So I think maybe the first topic we'll talk about here uh, is is just why is it important, whether that be in the private sector, youth athletes, local community athletes that aren't involved in a you know something like a college system or professional system to still seek athletic development outside of just playing a sport. So you know what what do you say are are the reasons and the importances of of doing that? Oh, like I think it's huge athletic development. Like it's, it's definitely such an untapped area for like the local level or this sub elite um, level, whatever you kind of want to call it. Athlete in like in what we call it in Australia, um, soft tissue injuries, huge, like in like local footy, this kind of stuff. Huge preventer can just be a, a half decent strength uh, conditioning or athletic development program for them. 
It seems like uh, in Australia, we have a very almost like re- reactionary mindset um, or old school mindset at like a lot of our local level clubs. Um, so every footy club would have, you know, like a sports trainer or like a physio there, but um, not many of them would have an S&C coach on board. So they've got someone there so for people when they get injured, but they don't have someone there in the first place to prevent the injuries. And again, not saying that physios aren't important, but by all means, they very much are important. But why aren't these, why aren't like kind of these local level clubs getting someone in there to prevent the injuries rather than going, rather than saying kind of, we know we're going to get injuries, so we're going to look after you after you get injured. Um, but a lot of that is because people, I think, still don't know kind of what athletic development or strength and conditioning coaching is. It's quite a very relatively new um, job or role, especially at the local level. Um, so it's kind of about getting these guys educated and just letting them know what you do really, um, that you're not just kind of there to either only be in the gym or, you know, you're not just there to flog them on the footy field. Um, but, yeah, the thing's super important um, in regards to that injury prevention thing because I think as an S&C coach, that's your first kind of um, goal or first thing to look at or is to make sure your athletes are on the field. No point being the biggest bloke in the gym if you're never playing a game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I think that's that is a good point of having, uh, you, you know, that like you said, instead of dealing with an issue when it's already there, just trying to stop it from happening in the first place or decreasing the risk of it of even happening in the first place. Uh, and I think uh, you definitely from my two years here in Australia, it's I've seen similar things. Is, is you know they always do have the physio or they always do have the sports trainer there of some sorts trying to deal with an injury when it happens but instead of giving and taking it seriously at that level and i think so what are your opinions on this too a lot of times you you know you do have i think one issue that i've come across with that is the fact that you have usually tuesday thursday nights roughly two hours of training and then a game on a saturday so you know prioritizing what is most important for the coach and the players minds it's obviously all playing you know, playing the game, playing the game, et cetera. So, you know, that's, I guess maybe that's something that I've kind of run across with, with it being the issue of trying to convince. Is that something that you, similar with yourself as well? Yeah, definitely. You mean like as in trying to get your strength and strength work in or your conditioning levels in, in, you know, what do you have four hours of training? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think a lot of times I think that's an issue with uh, one thing that they try and do is they say, oh, look, you know, it's not as important as doing this. And that's something that is trying to trying to get by. So I think that's one thing that I've kind of come across. Yeah, no, I, and I t- tend to agree with them kind, kind of yeah. as well, because we see the first role of you playing footy or you playing whatever sport you may be playing is being good at your sport. Um, <clears throat> so obviously your skill work is very important, but it's almost like <clears throat> trying to funnel it in um without them kind of noticing if that makes sense so um, that's a lot of things that i'm trying to do is um even kind of when programming for athletes like something like training legs trying to like sprinkle it in without them noticing so if you need to get some change of direction work in or if you need to get some high velocity running in um maybe it's having a chat to the coach at the start of training and getting them to do a couple of different drills. So it's not just, you know, cone agility drills, but it's reactive agility, you know, in a three-on-two small-sided games. Or for your long running, maybe you do a full-field drill instead of, you know, laps around the oval. So they are still getting that touch work in. And generally that's kind of better for the players or the athletes as well because they generally do, you know, dread if you're going to tell them, oh, you're running 400s all night. They're going to you know, stop showing up. Whereas if they're, you know, maybe running 400 metres split up with a couple of, you know, if you're playing footy, uh, a couple of kicks in between, um, be a lot more kind of um, interested in doing that. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Obviously, sports should be priority, but and that's a good way to figuring out how to, like, yeah, as you said, combine it with training and try to disguise it as much as possible. So, and that's uh, it's not seen as conditioning or or strength work. It's seen as just part of training. And I think that's that's a good point as well. So, what um, what would you say? Is, you know, your the key things you look at, the goals or your main principles when uh, for athletic development at, at this level, whether that be with your local level senior players or your local level youth players, other things. What are the things you're you're trying to hone in on? The things you're trying to focus on to to decrease that risk of injury and and try to make them the best athletes as possible. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so it's similar to almost like any other client you'd have, I guess. Um, obviously, individualize their programs, see what their needs are early on. Um, generally, um, I ideally get clients in, in their off season, like personally, this is just how I kind of try and run it. Um, kind of, cause that gives you the good, uh, first couple of months where they don't, aren't going to be sore every week when they come in cause they're not playing games, this kind of stuff. And it gives you a good opportunity to work with them and kind of get them t- teaching them the basics. Um, so I follow kind of, um, I'm a big fan. I'm not sure if you've heard of Christian Woodford down in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, like his big six, um, so as in like your squat, hinge, uh, horizontal pull, horizontal push, vertical pull, vertical push. Um, once That's the first thing I teach, to be honest, and I'll spend maybe a month in an off-season just teaching these basic movements to these guys. And um, once they can do that, then you kind of work from there. But um, if you're talking more specifics, what um, generally is lacking? Is that more what your question was? Uh no, I think no. Yeah, general principles first, and we can can we move into like general deficits, etc. Um, in in a second, but yeah, yeah. So obviously, um, getting them moving well, um, and that's not just only with youth athletes. Obviously, with youth athletes, we want them making sure they've got correct movement patterns, this kind of stuff. But sometimes you have you know twenty five, thirty year old blokes who are coming to see you after you know they've been to Good Life or just any other gym for the last ten years, and you get them to squat, and like it's almost laughable. Um, Obviously, you don't laugh at them, but um, you can't um, believe how what their squat or what their hinge is like. Um, so, yeah, you're just getting them, teaching them fundamental movement patterns again. Um, and then generally with me, it's strength strength first um, as your main goal because um, we know strength is kind of the underlying pin to all athletic um, attributes. So once we can get them stronger, um, and then again, depending on the athlete, if they need to put on a bit of size, if they're on the skinnier side of things or if they need to, you know, um, work on their conditioning a bit we can kind of um focus on that a bit more in their programming yeah and so i guess one question i was going to ask you here with obviously getting the pattern movement patterns down as you said your big six is is a really important part of it but for a lot of people that's you know it's it's not fun it doesn't seem like it's doing anything and they a lot of times i feel like it's it's hard to convince them they're not just wasting their time like why am i i'm not using any weights i'm literally doing nothing how is this making me better so you know how do you how do you approach that with with clients and and explain to them the importance of of doing those getting those patterns down and how do you try and incorporate that is there a similar way you disguise it like with your with your conditioning or your strength work within footy yeah, gotcha. That's yeah. It can be a hard thing. And initially, I thought it was when I was first kind of teaching people this. Um, I found that a bit difficult, kind of almost trying to trying to sell it to them, um, like stripping it back is the way to go. Restarting it, but obviously, if you can educate them like that as well, where you can tell them that this is why we're doing it, and then um, I find it almost like if you can set them like um, set it to them as like a challenge almost. Um, so, you know, you strip it back and like the first thing I'll pretty much teach with everyone is like a bottom up squat, um, 
body weight bottom up squat. So sitting on a box, not even controlling the eccentric, just standing up and being able to get up out of that position. So then if that's your first session, you almost make it a challenge for them to go, all right, in three weeks or in four weeks, um, I want you to be able to, you know, complete what's your next progression, a goblet squat or a front squat is generally kind of the way I like to progress them. Um, so making it a challenge for them. So, and getting them for almost getting them to prove to you that they're good enough to use a bar or that they're worth like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, if these guys are playing this kind of sport, they're naturally quite um, uh, competitive. And so they do want to kind of beat these challenges and show you that they are worthy or, you know, so if they're doing a body weight inverted row, they can use dumbbells. So um, it's kind of putting that kind of challenge back on them. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, and so you, you, you know, you kind of set a goal and a challenge each each time with it. So whether that mean um, they're not, so they're not thinking they're doing anything that they're progressing. And then do you, you kind of explain to them future on, like, look, once you can do this, then you can do that. Once you can do this, then you can do that. And that's why we're trying to get, obviously, doing all these progressions to get to that final end stage of whatever it is, a back squat with a barbell or, or whatever your end stage goal is. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, like, like I said, if you can set them small goals, um, and like I said, these guys are super compet- generally very competitive, and want to kind of smack the goals. Or if they're training with a mate, you know, it's kind of that competitive edge um, of, of who's going to you know, squat with a barbell first. As, as little of a goal that may seem, um, you know, when I kind of teach these guys, you know, sometimes it might take you three weeks to put a barbell on your, or four weeks to put a barbell on your back. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It may seem like a lot of time for some people. Yeah. And I guess, so, I mean, talking about convincing people in different ways or athletes or whoever you're working with, you know, what? so what are, is there any common myths or misconceptions that a lot of athletes you see come in with and, and how do you approach those and explain to them, you know, proper strength conditioning and not, you know, your bodybuilding or doing all this, you know, all the, the fatty, fad type stuff, I guess? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, so with this, it's kind of like I touched on before. It's about educating them where you can. Um, so letting them know and it's kind of simplifying it because obviously these guys aren't you know necessarily always ex science graduates. So you know, making sure that you're kind of almost dumbing it down, and giving it to them in layman terms, so they understand how it's important for them. Um, but I think it's also about picking your balance battles. Um, so sometimes you have to realize which clients you know want all the information because they, you know, they really love their training and they, they will be in the gym no matter if they'll play footy or not. Um, and then also realising which clients are kind of showing up because they know, all right, the gym's good for me and they just want to kind of get through their session. They don't necessarily care about uh, why is a hip hinge important for me. They just kind of want to do it and they will work on it. Um, but so it's obviously th- them kind of clients, we're not going to spend, you know, 20 minutes giving them kind of a lecture about you know if you can correctly push your hips back you're going to be able to load your hamstrings better or whatever it may be um so it's kind of picking your battles here um and like i was saying before as well it's almost like um using a reward system um so you know if you're doing a a lower body workout um, like specific you know chuck in a bit of arms or core at the end um for five minutes or 10 minutes end of a program i mean it's not going to ruin your program and um, it's going to kind of keep their interest levels high if they, you know, they go, oh, yeah, we can do a couple of, you know, curls and stuff at the end. I have no dramas at all with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think um, similar to what I was saying about educating your clients, your clients don't have to necessarily know about um, kind of the reward system that you're doing. 
Um, so I have a couple of online clients um, that when they first came to me and I was like, oh, what do you guys do at the gym? And they, they were like typical bro splits, chest and tries, back and buys, arms. And they're like, oh, we'll do legs once a week or sorry, once a month maybe or something like this. Um, so what, what I did with them, like, and it seemed to work very nicely was, all right, I'll give them a chest day. Um, but what it will be is chest day will be there, you know, an old school, maybe bodybuilding style chest day. Um, but chuck in a little bit of um, upper back work kind of just as a superset. So it's kind of looking after them shoulder joint as well. And then going, all right, I might just chuck in, you know, um, one or two lower body movements here as well as supersets. So it's kind of sprinkling it in and getting them to almost like subconsciously do their leg work or their accessory work that they may not necessarily um, looking to do when they get set out to the gym, but it's getting that done spread out across the week. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, so instead of having a, an extra leg day, you add in small bits throughout the whole entire the whole entire thing. Another question here, so I, maybe more predominant in team sports when you have the coach looking over you and you're trying to address a group and trying to fit it into training and all this stuff. But you know, if, whether that be a team setting or with a one on one client, you know, they they're coming, they're slightly, I guess, stubborn. You can say they're in their old ways of this is how I do it, this is what I do, this is why I'm doing. I guess. For, like I said, it might be a little bit easier to do in the private or local one-on-one -on -one setting, but how long, do you do you ever bite the bullet and just, yep, we're, we can do this for a bit, and then and then once, you know, a couple of three or two or three weeks go, and then you start saying, okay, you know, how about we try and do this, or how we do that, because I've experienced that a lot in team settings, is when, you know, the, the athletes have come in, and this is how they do things, and the coach wants this, and so on. And instead of saying, no, 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 we're doing none of that, we're doing it this way, and obviously probably not making a great impression on them and losing any buy-in at all of this person's coming in and trying to change everything, you know, do you have those times when you say, okay, yeah, we can do it like that. And once you start to vibe with them a little bit and get a trust in, then you change it up? Um, or, or do you usually try to educate first off? Uh, I, I pretty much agree with what you said at first. You kind of almost just let them have their way initially um and then almost I, I don't know this is the way i attack it I, I just back my ability to build a rapport with them in you know a week or two um for them kind of then to trust me um and then they actually, you know then they might get your opinion a bit more on a couple of drills or um then you can go from there rather than from the start just going no 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 we're not doing any skill work we're doing 35 minutes of conditioning to start off the session um and then you've lost them. You've probably lost your players as well. Um, and kind of at this level as well, you know, people are under no um, obligation to come and train, uh, whether that be with you one-on-one -on -one in a gym or whether that be even just your club training. It's not a professional environment. They're there for fun. It's community-level kind of um, like in Australia, we call it community-level football. Um, so if you've lost them, and they, all they know is, you know, on a Tuesday night, if I rock up, we're just going to get flogged and, you know, I'm going to be vomiting after 35 minutes of this running. They're just going to stop showing up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, um, like you said, slowly, almost like giving them a bit of, giving the leash a bit, letting the coach take the reins for it and then slowly incorporating your kind of, whether it maybe you want to do a bit of strengthening at the start of your program, at the start of a training session or whether that be you need to start incorporating, you know, 10 minutes to start off with of conditioning um, into a um, training session. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I would approach it. Yeah, yeah nice. And, I, and, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they are community or sub-elite or however you want to word that. So they don't have the resources a professional club would or, or a club that has, you know, all these different 
professions and, and ways to help educate and so on with, with the players. Do you, do you have, or how do you approach it or is there ways you recommend it? Cause obviously there's a bunch of information out there and there's a bunch of misinformation out there or not correct information out there. So if they don't have a group of staff surrounding these people, like in professional sports saying, you know, this is, you know, this is what's right. This is real information. This is proper education, education on your health, on your fitness, on, you know, whatever. Uh, is there anything you, or how do you approach the general education of, of the gen of general health and so on? Or is there any resources or, or other ways you recommend that these guys try and educate themselves on proper strength conditioning, health, et cetera? Yeah, gotcha. Um, the way I kind of found, like I'm obviously not saying I'm perfect in the way I did it was the best, but the way I found I've kind of got the most, um, almost engagement or the most information across, um, was like almost just putting yourself out there at a footy club. So as an ex-science undergrad, I think I got maybe through to my third year and then I was just like, oh, I, I should probably run warm-ups here at the footy club. Um, so what I would recommend to anyone who's like doing an ex-science or ex-phys undergrad is put yourself out there like a bit. Um, and it may seem like that, not a big thing to put yourself out there. I don't know. For me, I was quite a quiet person at the footy club. It was a huge thing for me to kind of just say, oh, yeah, I'll run your warm-ups from here on. Um, and I was like, I was nervous to be honest, even though I've played with these guys for five years, <laughs> weird. Um, but putting yourself out there. And so, you know, you may just run a 10 minute warm up at the start of training because the bloke who's probably running the warm is, you know, either probably the captain who has enough on his plate already, or just an, one of the older blokes at the footy club who only does what the previous older bloke at the footy club did, who did what the previous older bloke at the footy club did. And they've got, you know, one lap around the field, a couple of leg swings and maybe you know, a quad and hamstring stretch. And then it's into your warm-up drills. Um, so if you can put yourself out there and kind of almost give them a good little program there to start off with um, and, you know, take your warm-ups and your stretches at the end, even that just little bit kind of stuff, um, it kind of gets them to see you as the educated person almost. So um, all of a sudden people who, you know, may have a niggling injury or, you know, they're coming back from a calf injury and their physios got told them, you know, you can, you're, you're a couple of weeks away from playing, but you need to do this, this, and this. All of a sudden these blokes are going to come up to you at the end of training or, you know, before training and they're going to go, Hey mate, this is what's happened. Or so then you're able to help these guys. Cause this is, they're the kind of people you need to target the ones who are, you know, at risk of injury. So if someone has generally got something tired or they're feeling really weak or someone coming back from an injury. Um, so if you can then slowly get them, um, you, you've kind of won them over um, and you're helping these guys, then it's just kind of a, a word of mouth thing as well around the footy club. You know, this bloke's gone, Oh, actually when I did my calf, I went and saw him and he helped me. Um, you know, you've done a calf as well. This could also be helping. Um, because, yeah, like you said, at this level, there is, like, very, very minimal S&C education, like, just minimal. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I kind of found be, be the man at your footy club almost um, if you are an ex-science Yeah, no, that's I – think, I think that's a, a good point of taking, you know, which, which may seem to someone in the field as, as a minimal thing such as running a warm-up or – 
leading the stretches in the end, it does assert yourself as the one that has the knowledge within this, which then when other issues come up, as you mentioned, then they you would be the go-to to help educate. And again, it's I think maybe that's similar to, to the other thing. Instead of saying, hey, come to me, you know, I'm in, you know, I know more than you, et cetera, however, you know, trying to word that in a nice way. It's similar to of gaining their trust in a different way and then allowing them to approach you due to what you've done previously. So I think, you know, I think that makes it, that was a really good, really good point there. Uh, so I guess, yeah, going back to the, the to you said the principles of, of things that you try to look at with athletes at this level, are there any common deficits or things that are lacking other than we've discussed before, uh, at, at this community or sub elite level that you see commonly in, in ways you address, address those? Um, so I think the biggest thing that probably lacks at this kind of level, uh, there's probably two big things that almost come hand in hand time constraints. So this may not necessarily be athletic barriers. These are kind of, um, you know, time constraints is a huge one. So these guys are, con- are going to train uh, generally in Australia. We train Tuesday, Thursdays and play Saturday. Um, most kind of local level sports. Um, generally they're also playing full, I mean, sorry, are working full time jobs. Um, so they're out of the house twice a week plus on Saturday. Um, so they don't necessarily have the um, greatest times to come and train. Um, so that's a huge one. Money is another thing. So if you're trying to get them into your job, I mean, sorry, into the gym, obviously you want them, you know, two, three times a week and, you know, um, financial thing, completely understanding as well um, that this is going to be an issue for some of them, especially if you're getting the younger kids coming through, you know, your 18, 19 year olds, you know, they're, you know, first year at uni or something and, I remember when I was at uni, bro, I don't know how well you went, but didn't have all the money in the world for an S&C coach. No. Definitely not. Um, and then kind of other things that I found um, that were present in uh, this level kind of athletes is, like you mentioned before, if they do go to the gym already and then they're coming seeing you, which is, you know, an ideal situation, um, they have that bodybuilding or that bro, bro split mentality when going to the gym. Um, and that also the fear of training legs and, you know, they train legs three times in an off season and they go, Oh, I don't want to train legs in season. I don't want to be sore for the weekend. Um, uh, that's kind of the big issues that I've found, um, time constraints. There's some, it's really hard. You can't really do too much about that. You can obviously, um, try and shorten up your sessions. You can help them out where you can obviously trying to find better locations for them. Um, giving them home workouts if possible. Um, but at the same time, time constraints is unfortunately just one of them things. And um, I mean, if someone works 12 hour days um, and, you know, they're on the tools all day, you completely understand if they don't want to come and you know, smash out a gym session after that. Um, and then similar with the bodybuilding um, type training, if people have that kind of mindset before coming to see you, like I mentioned before, not just ripping on them and going, oh, this is the worst way to train. What are you training like a bodybuilder for? You're not a bodybuilder, you're an athlete. Um, not just absolutely roasting them to start off with because they're following, I don't know, Ronnie Coleman's <laughs> gym program or something. Um, but, yeah, kind of um, educating them where you can and letting them know. Um, and also almost um, getting them to do your athletic development work um, alongside their bodybuilding training, you know, as you almost slowly phase it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I think the, uh, those are all really good points. And, yeah, money, time, and previous training styles, I guess, are, are three things definitely that um, can kind of, you know, get in the way of or need to be addressed, I guess, before approaching proper training. 
you, you kind of touched on it a little bit there too, but I think that's another big thing that I've picked up working some with the community level or local or private sector level athletes as well. Even honestly, even college or, or higher, uh, when people want, don't want to train in season or don't want to, like, as you mentioned, don't want to do legs before the big game. And obviously as an SNC coach or performance coach, you need, will obviously need to address and change certain things depending on games and load and all that other stuff. But they're, they're still doing something, you know, before the games or the, they're still lifting throughout season. It's just modified into the proper ways to do it that, that are, are still going to get the, the benefit without doing too much. So how do you approach that with these guys or what have other tactics or things you've tried with, with the community local level athletes to convince them it's okay and how you've adjusted to make it work and, and, and so on? Um, yeah, this is one of the harder things I think um, to win them over on is – training in season especially if you know they've played footy for i don't know 10 years plus and they you know i train always in the off season in season i just play footy um again that old, old school kind of mindset um i think the best way like to attack this um although sorry i don't know necessarily the best way the way i've attacked it is i look at you take your low-hanging fruit so if you may have i don't know let's say you get 20 people in over the off season um from the footy club that want to train if 10 of them want to continue on in season beautiful stay with them 10 um, and, you know, do a really, really good job, obviously, with them 10, focus on them. And if, you know, the eight of them want to do, oh, I just want to drop back to once a week throughout the season, perfect. Do a good job with them as well. And then if a couple of them just want to go, I don't train at all in season, educate them where you can. Obviously, try and do get them to come and train in season. But if they don't, I mean, like I said, you you can't always get them over. Um, so I'm a big fan of just taking your low-hanging fruit um, where possible. Uh, the other thing I've found, um, and I've been doing it this year a lot more, kind of is checking in with them after a game. So like I said, all my kind of athletes um, train Tuesday, Thursday, play Saturday. Um, so then Sunday morning or, a, you know, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, send them a message or give them a call and just check up how they, how they pull up. Are they sore? Do we need to adjust their training program for the week? Um, you know, because generally we lift um, then on a Monday. Um, so if I can kind of see how they're feeling on a Sunday afternoon and then I can go, all right, well, we're probably not going to do this because they've got a massive corky in their leg or you know, they've got a bit of a stinger in their shoulder. So we might not do overhead pressing at all. Um, and then not flogging them is the other thing. So, you know, like I said, if you're taking your low-hanging fruit and you're keeping on half your clients from the off-season, you know, in the first three weeks of the season where they're going to be that bit sore because they haven't had that contact, you know, don't absolutely flog them on a Monday and a Wednesday if they're in the gym Monday, Wednesday, and then they're sore going into their games and then they, they're going to join the other ones where they're not going to train because they're just going to be sore for weeks on weeks, um, which is not what you want. Um, so not flogging them and just understanding when to pull back um, and having you kind of your deload weeks almost um, more often than not, I'd say. Um, but in season, currently what I do um, mostly is twice a week um, with the boys who see me in person. Uh, so that's a Monday, Wednesday, obviously with the Tuesday, Thursday training, um, as in footy club training, Monday, Wednesday will lift. Um, and I almost do a little bit of an upper-lower split um, in the, in the two days of training. Obviously, similar to what I said before, sprinkling in a couple of movements of each across um, each workout. Um, on the Monday session, a bit more range of motion, kind of just making sure they're moving well, 
a bit more kind of higher rep ranges, get a bit of a pump on, a bit more eccentric kind of loading. Uh, and then on that Wednesday session, slowly reduce the range of motion, heavier weight, um, and then faster bar speed as well, generally on that Wednesday session. Um, but that's still also, you know, three days out from a game, so they'll generally recover quite well from that. Um, but, yeah, I also do have some athletes that um, are just huge gym goers. Like I've um, some people that come three times a week so and, you know, they just have the time and the availability to, so we can chuck that in either probably on a Thursday or on a Friday as a primer. Um, and then I actually have one online client who just is a, he just loves the gym before before he came to see me. And he trains like five, six times a week in season, um, which is I think I try and manage him as well as I can. Um, but, yeah, that's probably the most interesting client actually. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and I think those are good points. And I think, as you mentioned, low-hanging fruit of, of if you – if you get them to train in season, that's that's your win. And then after that, you know, it's whether you could push a little bit harder, um, but then you lose them, it'd probably be better to back off a little bit and still be doing something rather than nothing. Uh, and then just trying to gain that trust, as, as you mentioned, and, and, and build it up if necessary throughout. But definitely, obviously, prioritizing footy is, you know, you, you made uh, clear it earlier on and so on. And this is just trying to supplement that as much as possible. So... I think one thing you mentioned, though, uh, at this level <clears throat> that I've noticed as well a lot and was wondering how you deal with it is most likely, I guess, if they're coming to you, they're probably slightly more committed than the normal player. But someone gets injured, you don't see them for four weeks until their injury's healed, if it's actually healed, and or they just feel a little bit better. So how do you, how do you go about that? How do you go about keeping them on and trying to say look yeah okay this is injured but we can always still train all this other stuff and, and so on with that um yeah it's it's pretty much what that last sentence was from you trying to work around their injuries where possible um and then kind of get, getting that education back to them so you know generally if it's an injury all right we can start actually probably loading the injury some way so it's um the rehab is going to be shorter and, and better um to get them back even quicker than what they're probably planning to um so, and just like I said, working around the injury side, um, an ACL client last year, um, and he was pretty much back in the gym. Um, he took a month off just because he was around on crutches and stuff. And then, um, yeah, it was pretty much back in the gym, starting to do upper body work again. It's cool because they just go do a heap of upper body work. And I'm telling you, if you have a 25 year old like doing holy pop body work, he's not going to complain. Um, so you're going to keep him interested into the gym. Um, and then kind of slowly getting his rehab work is how I kind of attacked it. Um, so um, your basic kind of principles, teaching your landing mechanics, teaching your moving mechanics with him. Um, but, yeah, obviously trying to work around it the best you can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So with, you, you know, you work with youth athletes as well. So is is there anything different, I guess, or any other benefits of, obviously it's better to start than not, but starting them younger, as is there anything that you really stress there of why that's important or how you try to approach those any different than the 25-year-old who hasn't really ever lifted before? Um, not. Uh, I think kids generally do want to jump into the gym. This is what I've found is most of them do want to jump in or if you're coming down. Um, so I've done a couple uh, a bit of work with kind of my local footy clubs, under um, like under 15 girls. Um, and if you're just coming down and you're doing a bit of kind of strength conditioning kind of stuff, um, they generally love it. They'll just jump on board. Um, their engagement's generally higher. 
Um, from that, though, generally it's getting the parents sold on it. But then, again, if you've won the kids over, the, the kids are probably generally just going to nag the parents um, to, get, to get you back or that kind of stuff. Um, but even at the school that I work at, um, when I first went there, so I've only uh, went there, started at the end of last year. When I first went in, um, these guys were grade seven and up. So what's that, 13 years to 17? Um, some of them, these grade 11, grade 10 kids even, the way they moved in the gym was just like, it was awesome. It was incredible. Um, I couldn't believe it. Um, some of them had better movement patterns, better technique than, you know, blokes I play footy with who are, you know, 25, 30 years old. Um, and you just go, well, they've got this at 16 years. They're obviously going to hopefully going to maintain this correct movement pattern, the ability to move, um, obviously do these fundamental movements really, really well. Um, and they've got this at, you know, 16, 17. So when they get to 27, they've been doing perfect movements now for, you know, 10 to 12 years and not for starting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also not just the physical aspect of it with these kids, but the mental side of it. Um, obviously, um, kids leaving the gym generally going to have, you know, increased confidence, better self-esteem, this kind of stuff. And we know like with um, all the mental health stuff going on at the moment, this is kind of a very good secondary um, result of the gym, I guess, is um, their ability to have improved um, mental health. Yeah, for sure. And I think, or kind of following up on that with, with the, with the kids, do you, are you as much looking to improve them as an, as improve their performance? Or are you really just trying to build that obviously foundation in the base of the gym to then progress further on? Obviously is, I'm assuming your goal is, is there specific ways you go about that other than just teaching movement patterns and moving from there is you just pretty much keep it as basic as possible to, to, to build that base and go on. Yeah. So what I've kind of attacked with the uh, school is similar to almost like my clients outside where it's understanding where the kids are at. So there's some kids, like I said, who are maybe in grade 10 or 11 and they've been in the gym for a couple of years already. So they've got real good movements. Um, so then you can kind of program for them differently and you can go, all right, well, we're now chasing um, a three rep max on a back squat or whatever it may be. Um, whereas you're going to have some grade eight kids who are coming in for the first time and their athletic um, base isn't so broad. So all you're trying to do, like I said, is teaching them basic movements. So teaching them how to do a body weight squat um, and how to, you know, pull their shoulders back in movements may get great results. Actually, not may, look, it will kind of get great results like that. That's athletic development for them at this stage is teaching them how to move their body correctly. Um, so kind of um, individualizing that program again um, that way. Yeah, no, no. Yep. And I guess one, one more thing on, on the, for a community level athlete, whatever that be, whether that be your youth or your uh, older population, uh, what, one thing we've touched a lot in the gym work, I guess, so gym work, bodybuilding splits a lot of what general pop or your local community level athlete would go to. And then conditioning wise, it's, it's pretty much their, their bodybuilding is run, like just go for a 5k or go for a long, you know, a long run. And so, you know, how do you, how do you approach that with, you know, there's, you know, going for a long run, that's, well, you need a base of some sort, you know, you're going to have to hone in on the specifics of how you need to condition um, more than that. Uh, is, is there ways you approach that of education and implementation or is it, or is it similar? Obviously it's probably similar. And then, and then do you, I guess, just implement that of trying to disguise it in training as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
Um, generally what I try and do with all the boys, um, all my, my footy boys, um, what I try and do is get their may, most of their conditioning work done at the footy club. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously prioritising our time. So if they're um, only going to come and see you in the gym for, you know, two one-hour sessions a week, um, that time, I personally, I think it's probably generally prioritised to, you know, get some gym work done. Whereas, you know, if you're doing two hours at a footy club, so you've got four hours there, let's use that extra time to condition uh, the body. Um, but then I do do a little bit of conditioning kind of with their programming. Um, and it obviously varies depending on what kind of stage or what's um, – part of the year we're at. So in season at the moment, um, we'd probably only do it maybe, I'd say once a fortnight, um, kind of a little bit of conditioning in the gym. Um, and I generally do try and stay away from the old school, kind of like flogging them as much as you can. You know, if you're not puking, you're not working hard enough, this kind of stuff. Um, what I try and do is um, almost look at the aerobic systems, um, or sorry, the energy systems, um, and either train... So your short energy system, like your ATP, um, or your proper like aerobic system training. So for like your ATP energy system, um, you're looking at like your HIIT training and like proper HIIT training, not like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Mm-hmm. Um, so like HIIT as in, so what I do generally is um, one of my favorites is like just on a any exercise equipment, 10 seconds max effort, uh, 50 seconds rest. So you get, you get through that minute. Um, and then you repeat, I don't know, five to ten times. Um, so you're only doing, you know, if you, you, you're probably blown up if you're doing ten of these, but that's only 100 seconds. So what's that? Not even two minutes of actual effort, mm-hmm. um, a ten-minute workload. Um, but you're blowing up and you're training the correct energy systems as well. Um, and then for like your aerobic system, you're probably looking, another one that I use all the time is a two-minute on, one-minute off kind of moderate intensity kind of stuff. Um, or two minute on, 30 seconds off. So we're allowing them kind of to get that recovery phase in um, to them as well. Um, and then leave kind of that. So obviously there are your two ends of the spectrum with the energy systems and then leaving that lactate energy system, um, so the one in the middle um, where the lungs are on fire, that kind of stuff. Leave that to the footy club um, mm. or leave that to your game training. Let that happen. Um, yeah, but um, conditioning, obviously, all right, I've never met too many people who are a huge fan of conditioning. Um, so you always try and make it interesting or try and make it um, competitive is the way I try and do it. Um, like I said, these guys generally have the competitive juices going. Um, so for something like my um, little 10-second sprint, 50 seconds rest, generally jump, put them on a bike erg or a ski erg or something like that. Um, and then it's just an ego thing with the bloke next to you, who's got the highest RPM, who's got the highest... Um, whatever number you want to compare against each other. So that's how you get them going against each other. Um, And then the best way I've found with the moderate intensity stuff, so with your two minutes on, one minute off, obviously we're looking to train the aerobic system, so we're probably staying below that 70%. Um, And a good way I've found to kind of like monitor the intensity um, as well as getting them engaged is almost just talking to them. Um, So obviously we don't want them with this aerobic system, we want them kind of at that lower intensity, like we said, below 70%. Um, so how do we monitor that is being able to talk. So you talk to them about their weekend, you know, ask them, did they watch the Olympics last night? This kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll build your rapport, not only with them, but, you know, also gives you a great indication of what their intensity is um, yep. without, you know, having to use an RPM scale. If they're no longer to keep a conversation with you, you can probably tell them, you know, you're probably going a little bit too hard, pull it back. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a couple of things. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, those are all good principles of ways to do that, and it all makes sense to me. So I think that was a good summary of, you know, the local level ways to, the local athlete and private sector ways to, to make it work for the coach and the athlete. I guess, do you have any other summary points or main main takeaways from this, or do you think you think that's that's pretty good? Um, I think we covered on most of it. Um, just in general, I'd say most people need to get into the gym because they're probably not in the gym enough. Um, and the other thing um, I probably want to touch on is the, the preseason length. I think in local level, especially local level, I think even almost almost at the professional level, it's too long. I think um, I don't know what your thoughts are at all, but I think if if you're at a local level club and you're kind of you know you're getting people down in November. So in Australia, so it's November, generally preseason starts and the first game is probably not played until April, May. Um, you know, you, so you're four or five months out of the first game. And if you're going to flog your athletes in, you know, I think before Christmas, uh, no conditioning should be done or like minimal conditioning should be done, to be honest. That's just my kind of mentality about it. I don't know. what. I don't, what's your thoughts about this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it is... Uh... Because you do get it, they do get a massive break. Like depending on the club, like it can be a month or more off. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've I have mixed feelings. I get like pe- getting people around each other still and, and trying to, you know, develop that. But yeah, I agree. You probably don't have to absolutely destroy them. You know, five months out when you're going to have a whole month off, where depending on the dedication of the athlete, might do stuff or they might do absolutely nothing. So, yeah, it's I mean, again, with at that at this level, nothing's you know perfect by any means. So. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it it depends on. I, I don't think. It, I think if they were to to get it to get together and do some form of, it doesn't have to kill them. You know, I think if you were to get together and work on skills, work on different things, and do actual footy training, and then do general conditioning to stay fit, hundred percent. But yeah, I agreed. Probably absolutely destroying them to then have a month off. I mean, that would almost maybe even decrease their likelihood to continue on with doing stuff if they're just like absolutely gassed. So. Why? I mean, it's not necessarily the length for me. It's the yeah, how you how a club would approach what they do within that time frame. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Well, you know, th- yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time beyond. If if you just want to share where people can can follow you and um, get in touch if if they have questions or want to train, etc., then, then then I can put those in the show notes for you. Yeah, too easy. Thank you very much. Firstly, for having me on. Appreciate it, bud. Um, my the only social media I have is Instagram actually, which is just Rise Athletic Development. Um, I'm pretty sure it's all just one word. I'm not a huge social media fan, um, so that's the only one I've got on. Uh, but I am quite, generally quite responsive on that. Perfect. Well, again, thank you very much for taking your time. Easy. Thank you, bud. Enjoy the rest of your lockdown. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.